The following audio is from Life Journey Church. More information about Life Journey Church is available at www.lifejourneyva.com. Today's a really, really big day in the life of our church because we actually get to turn the page in our Bible or I guess whatever it is for the digital version, you get to like swipe across to the next chapter. Okay, so we're going from chapter 7 in Hebrews to chapter 8. We just spent five weeks walking through chapter 7, where the author of Hebrews, whoever he, she was, we don't know who wrote Hebrews, uh, they painstakingly explain that Jesus has actually replaced the entire religious system of the Jews. You see, The religious Jewish system some 2,000 years ago, they were convinced that their righteousness with God was established by their efforts. Now, I know that righteousness is a word really that we only kind of reserve to use like at church. I don't really know if like we're getting ready for work in the morning and the kid comes in like with crazy hair, you know, and it's like, you know, I wonder what the righteousness would be to get this hair correct. You know what I mean? Like we don't really use that word anywhere else except for in church. So what is this big righteousness word mean? Well, in short, okay, it just means rightness or okayness with God, with the God of the universe. And so they were believing that their rightness with God was both established and maintained by their behavior. So Hebrews' whole point up until this, uh, 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 the, the writing of this book is that this thinking must be replaced with the truth of the good news of Jesus and what Jesus has actually done. You see, these religious leaders, they were convinced that their cleanness with God, their their closeness, their intimacy with God was managed by their sacrifices, that it was managed by their dedication, by their earnest devotion. In short, they thought it was managed by them. They thought they were in the driver's seat when it came to their rightness with the God of the universe. So if someone were to ask one of these uh, religious Jews 2,000 years ago, you know, hey, bud, are you right with God today? Well, their immediate response, their immediate thought would have been to think about how well they had behaved in the last 24 to 48 hours or however long it had been since they went to the temple and made a sacrifice for their sins. If their behavior had been pristine, you know, the response would likely have been, well, yeah, I'm pretty close to God today because, you know, I've, been, I've behaved really, really well. If they're a little bit more humble, the response might have been something like, you know, well, I'm not as close as I wish to be, but I'm certainly not as distant as I was yesterday. You know, something like that if they want to be a little bit more, you know, humble about it. But if their behavior was bad over the last 24 or 48 hours, whatever, if they'd broken a law, whatever, then their response would have been one of, well, shame, guilt, condemnation. They would have been reminded that they need to get back to the temple to gain further forgiveness for their sins because at some level they were thinking that they have fallen away from God in some sort of way. So in the religious system, their rightness, their okayness, the big Bible word, their righteousness was totally linked to their actions. And this, my friends, is what Hebrews is, was written to totally debunk, to totally undo, to straighten out. Now, I've not gotten this question yet. I've got a lot of great questions over the last few months since we've gone through Hebrews. But I've not got this question, but I could totally understand if we were to get this question. And the question is something like this. All right, why are we spending a year or so walking through a letter that was written 2,000 years ago 
to religious Jews. Right? This is 2015, not like 15, okay? So why in the world are we walking through this? Listen, it might not be you, but you know someone, I know someone, who is convinced that their rightness, their okayness with God is linked to their actions. You don't believe me? Let's take a poll, okay? Let's take a poll. Now, this, normally we have like audience participation time, right? This isn't that, okay? Let's do this more rhetorically because it could be kind of embarrassing. All right, so rhetorically, raise your hand in your mind, okay? Um, so today, March 8th, 2015, as you sit here at Western Albemarle High School or we'll, introduce, we'll bring in our podcast, you know, audience, if you're sitting here driving down the car somewhere, you know, uh, listening to the podcast, As you reflect back on your last week, all the ups, all the downs, all the wins, all the losses, all the joys, all the disappointments, as you think about all of that right here, right now in this world, listen, are you right now right with God? Are you okay with the very God of the universe? Is there anything in the last seven days, shoot, the last seven minutes that has shuffled its way into your life to where you now need to do some business with God to gain further forgiveness than what you already have in Christ so that you can get right with him again. You don't have to raise your hands. Please don't. But think with me. How many of us just then thought of something we did? How many of us thought of some sin we committed, some attitude we exhibited, some grudge we hold, some law that we broke? How many of us are, are so conditioned to think that our behavior are okay, affects our okayness with God? I say all of us, myself included. You see, this sort of religious thinking is not limited to Jews 2,000 years ago. It's in us, each of us. And, and you know what Scripture is calling us to do? Scripture is calling us to no longer be conformed to that pattern that exists in this world. This thinking of do good, be blessed, do bad, be cursed is the pattern of this world. And it started all the way back with Adam and Eve, and it continues today. Our natural mind is bent on this thinking that if we behave well, we'll get bonus points. If we behave poorly, well, we get sent out to the doghouse. Don't take my word for it. In fact, don't ever take my word for any of this. If you're in the Bible app, you can scroll up and see Romans 12 too, if you or you can just look at it on the screen here. Romans 12, 2 says, do not be conformed to this world, or other translations, to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Our minds are naturally inclined to judge our cleanness and closeness with God by our actions. This is the pattern of this world, but we're called to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. This this thinking that our rightness and our okayness with God being based on our actions must change. Our minds must be renewed to the truth that we've actually become one with God, that he's actually in us and we're actually in him, that he's actually cleaned house, and he's actually moved in. That, listen, listen, that rightness, okayness, righteousness has been given freely as a gift for those who believe in Jesus. It's a gift. I remember a couple years ago giving April a card, just out of the blue, for no reason. I went to the store. I even went to the section. You've probably seen it. The just because section. They actually have just because sections in the card shop. Who knew? 
So I went to the card section, the card store. There's a section just because. On the front of the card, it says just because. All right? I mean, so I put it, wrote, love you, just because. It said it on the front. I put it in an envelope, and I handed it to her. April's my wife, for those who have met her. Clear that out. Yeah, clear that out. All right. Um, awkward. Um, I handed it to her. She opens it. She reads it. She looks at me with this most confused look on her face, and she says to me, what's this for? And I'm like, uh, I'm just going to go out on a limb just because? I mean, it says it right there. Just, just because. Just because. Look, we struggle to accept gifts from each other just because. We struggle. Let's be honest. We, we think there's got to be some sort of, like, you know, angle. So no wonder we struggle to accept this gift of perfect rightness with God. We can't seem to embrace it. We can't seem to believe that it's really free, that it's a gift. No strings attached just because he actually loves you. He actually has longed to be one with you. And now he is because of Jesus. So our righteousness is not linked to our behavior. Rightness with God is a gift from God, period. Sure, we feel closer with God when we don't sin or whatever. Sure, I don't deny that. But feelings cannot be our guide. Truth must be our guide. Let's think about this. I mean, aren't you glad that your rightness with God is a gift? A free gift from God? I mean, aren't you glad about that? This is, this is the crowd participation part. Aren't you glad? Yeah, yeah. Aren't you glad that your behavior doesn't affect your cleanness and your closeness with him? Yeah, okay, good. There's somebody. All right, aren't you glad that at this very moment, Jesus lives in you? Yeah, aren't you glad about this? Aren't you glad that even when you sin, you don't slide away from the Lord? Aren't you glad that even when you sin, Jesus is still in you, beckoning you to gaze upon him and his beauty and not any longer the sin of your flesh? Aren't you glad that in this new covenant that he has established, it's based upon his promise with himself and his sworn oath with himself? And not upon your feelings, not upon your emotions, not upon your sin list. It's based upon him. Look, our emotions are all over the map. It's all, they're all over the map. Our okayness with God is not all over the map because it's based upon him and he is unchanging. The same yesterday, today, and forever. Look, this really is good news. And we can rest in this wonderful news of what Jesus has done. So we're turning the page over to Hebrews chapter 8. And we're going to see from Scripture what this new covenant is all about. And I think this might be the most important thing that we've done so far in the last two years as a church. I think the next four weeks are going to be some of the most important four weeks we've ever had. And I'll tell you why. And this, these notes are in your Bible app. If you want to see them there, they're also on the screen. Here's what. Two reasons why I think this is the most important thing that we've done so far. Number one, it took Jesus' blood to establish this new covenant. Matthew 26, we read it last week in context, but this is the, uh, the first, um, uh, the Lord's Supper, the last meal 
the first last meal, sorry about that, the last meal that Jesus had with his disciples, he holds up the cup and he says, this cup, this is the night of his arrest, this cup is the blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. So this is really important. Because it took Jesus' blood to establish this new covenant. Look, if it took the very blood of Jesus to be drained from his veins and his arteries to establish this thing, don't you think that we should kind of know a little bit about what this new covenant is really all about? The second reason I think this is so important, and we're going to look at these two reasons for the next four weeks. So if you kind of are fuzzy on them today, maybe by the four weeks, you know, we'll get these. But the second reason why this is probably the most important four weeks of our church history so far is, number two, the new covenant is the only covenant that we are actually qualified to minister. What is that all about? Again, we'll talk about this more through the next four weeks. But 2 Corinthians 3, starting verse 5, says, Our adequacy, that's the same word meaning our qualification, is from God who also made us adequate or qualified us as servants of a new covenant. Not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. The letter here is reference to the law, including the Big Ten, the Ten Commandments. Read 2 Corinthians 3 for yourself when you get home. It's in the Bible app. You can click on it and read it. It's amazing. The letters written on stones is what he's talking about here. The only part of the law that was written on stones were the Ten Commandments. Paul is saying that we are not qualified to minister the old covenant of the law, which includes the the Big Ten, the Ten Commandments. We are only made adequate to minister or to serve or to dish out the new covenant. So what's this a big deal? Think of a waiter at a restaurant, maybe going to lunch this afternoon. The, the waiter, the server, he'll come, he'll bring you your drinks, he'll bring you your, your dinner, he'll bring you your dessert, and of course, of course you know, he'll bring you your check, you know, depending on the drinks, the dinner, the dessert, depends on how the check gets get big, you know. But the waiter comes and he serves you all these things, your, 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 your dinner, your desserts, your drinks. He comes with a platter and he, he gives it, he serves it up to you. He hands it to you for you to do with it as you please. Listen. The only thing we are qualified of serving each other, of dishing out to each other, is the new covenant, not the old covenant. We are only qualified to serve this agreement, this pact that required the very blood of Jesus to be shed. We are not qualified to serve the Ten Commandments to each other, nor any part of the Mosaic Law. If you want to dish out the Ten Commandments to other people, hey, look, that's totally your prerogative. But I'm just saying what Scripture is saying, that we're not qualified by God to do that. So here's where my brain goes when I read 2 Corinthians 3. If we're only qualified to dish out the new covenant that, oh yeah, cost the very life of Jesus, don't you think we ought to know it? And know it really, really well? Look, I think so. And I think you think so. So this is where Hebrews brings us to, these four weeks, starting today, of learning about this new covenant. Now, there's one more thing I want to say before we actually get to 8.1. Let me say one more thing. While I believe it's imperative that we know this covenant 
and know it well, let us remember that this, this is a good time to say amen. Okay, I'm just prepping you, all right? It's in your Bible app. No, just kidding. Um, let's remember, that'd be cool, put in like in the Bible app, you know, say amen here. That'd be, it's a good thought. Anyways, it's imperative that we know this new covenant, but let us remember that the new covenant is not what died for us. There you go. The new covenant is not what lives in us. Okay, there we go. We're, we're, we're new to this, right? We, we, can get, we, we can get there. The new covenant is not what presents us holy, blameless, without spot or wrinkle. Jesus is the one who died for us. Jesus is the one who now lives in us. Jesus is the one who presents us to the Father and to himself, holy, blameless, above reproach, without spot or without wrinkle. It's Jesus. So let's not lose focus off of Jesus in examining the new covenant. That is totally, if, if that's what we do, man, we're totally missing the boat. My prayer for the next four weeks is that our minds are renewed to the truth of this amazing covenant, how it works, what it is, and so forth. And I pray that the Holy Spirit would reveal to us the unfathomable riches and depths of God's love towards us. If we leave Hebrews 4, I mean, Hebrews 8, after four weeks of this, with just simply more info, well, listen, we've missed the whole point. We've missed the beauty. The whole point is for the Spirit of God to further renew our minds so that we see better, we see clearer the truth of God's love now that we're in Christ and he is now in us. So let's pick up with verse eight, chapter 8, verse 1. And if you're new with us, I know we've got some folk who are here because the time changed and they couldn't get to the church in town, and I'm really glad that you're here with us. But the way it works, if you're new with us, is we're going to read a little bit, we'll talk about it, we'll read a little, talk a little, and then we'll wrap it all up with this little bow at the end called a journey marker, and that's already in your Bible app as well. And in fact, at the end, you can share that to your Facebook, your Twitter, whatever, so that all your friends can see what we did this morning at Life Journey so they can join in with this wonderful news of this new covenant. So chapter 8, verse 1. This is how it starts. Now the main point of what has been said is this. Okay, so it's going to explain why Hebrews 1 through 7 has been discussed. And it's very important that we understand what's going on in Hebrews 1 through 7, particularly Hebrews 7. Now, real quick, for those who weren't with us the last four, five weeks when we went through Hebrews 7, we basically saw that there are two different priesthoods. One that was on earth, led by a guy named Levi and all of his descendants. They made sacrifices over and over, but they couldn't actually take away any sins. But there was another priest that's not from this world, from another world, not Pluto, but from another kingdom, another realm, the very kingdom of heaven. And when Jesus entered the scene back in Mark chapter 1, his message was that the very kingdom of heaven, this far-off realm of heaven, has actually been brought close. And the very realm of God, where God rules and reigns, has actually invaded this world, and a whole new door has been opened for us to walk through and enter into that other kingdom. In the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, there was only one place on earth where there was a, a connection between the, this world and that world, and that was in the center of the temple called the Holy of Holies. And what we, we, we see now is that a whole new door has been opened into this other realm. Well, who is that door? Well, Jesus helps us out here in John chapter 10, verse 9. He says, I am the door. 
I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved, rescued, delivered. He will go in and out and find pasture. There'll be joy. There'll be life. So chapter seven showed us that there was a system of trying to gain rightness with God led by the Levi and the Levites, that whole priesthood. And it was weak and it was useless because it actually made no one okay with God. They thought it would, but it actually didn't. But there's now another priest that's not from this world, but from another world, Jesus Christ himself, who has now entered our world and he rescues us by us being placed into his death, his burial, and his resurrection. So trust me, I know this sounds crazy, especially if you're just kind of picking up with us. Like, what? Two realms, parallel universes, dual kingdoms? Like, what are you talking about? Listen, don't ever, don't ever, have I said this already a million times, don't ever take my word for anything. Never. What? You're the preacher, I thought. Yeah, but I want the Spirit to lead you, not me. Look at what Jesus says to, to Pilate when he was on trial. Jesus says to Pilate, look, Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom was of this world, then my servants would be fighting so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. Wow. So you don't have to take my word for anything. Jesus is saying that his kingdom is not of this realm. There's a whole other realm, a whole other world. Where is it? What is this? Listen, this is the very kingdom of heaven. We cannot see it, but it has invaded this world when Jesus came. So all of chapter 7 was showing us that in this world, there was a priesthood in this realm called Levi, but it was a shadow of a greater priesthood in the real realm of heaven, Jesus himself. And now that Jesus has come, both the Levitical priesthood and the Mosaic law that's supported that priesthood, according to Hebrews 7, are to be set aside. They've been changed. So the whole point of chapter 7 is getting to this point in chapter 8. And now we'll continue with chapter 8. So the whole, so, so we've said all this to say this. We have such a high priest who has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of majesty in heaven. You see this? He's not talking about this world. He's talking about another realm, another place where Jesus has taken the seat at the right hand of the Father. Jesus, the priest, has sat down. How can he sit down? Well, he can sit down because there's no more sacrifices to be offered. There's no more sins to be forgiven. The work of Jesus is complete. The question now is, do you believe in him? Have you entered the door of Jesus himself from this kingdom into a whole other realm, the kingdom of heaven? Do you believe in this one who has taken away the sin of the world? So Jesus has sat down. He has completed his work. And he is, verse 2, Hebrews 8, 2, a minister of the sanctuary and in the true tabernacle, which the Lord pitched, not man. Again, see, we're not talking about this world, what we can see. We're talking about a whole other kingdom, a whole other realm, a whole other universe. The true tabernacle exists in another place, called heaven. Verse three, for every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. So it is necessary that this high priest, Jesus, also have something to offer. Priests offer sacrifices. So it's necessary that Jesus have an offering. Well, what was Jesus's offering? His very self, his very life, his very perfected body. 
Now, if he were on earth, Hebrews says, if Jesus were on earth, he would no longer be a priest at all. He, he wouldn't be a priest at all since there are those who offer gifts according to the law, who serve a copy of the shadow of the heavenly things. So here's some more of the strange language, it's strange stuff. There's two worlds, there's a, two tabernacles, there's a real one in heaven, but then a copy, a shadow here on earth. So how did man get the blueprints to build this physical tabernacle, which later got replaced by the temple? How did man get these blueprints on earth? Well, it it says it right here. Look at the very next verse. Just as Moses was warned by God when he was about to erect the tabernacle. And this is what God says, talking to Moses. See or make sure that you make all things in this realm of earth according to the pattern which was shown to you on the mountain. So make sure that you build this little structure, this little tent, this tabernacle, and then eventually the the temple. Make sure you build this after the pattern of what you've seen up on the mountain when I showed you a little glimpse of what this really is in heaven. So God showed him this glimpse, and now Moses was tasked with creating a shadow of it. So the Levitical priests in this world were serving a shadow. It was just a simple, weak shadow of the reality. All the sacrifices of all the priests uh, in all of Israel's history never actually took away sin. Their work wasn't real. It was just a shadow. All of religion is following a shadow of the real deal. The real deal was hidden until the day Jesus entered this world. And look at verse six, but now, so Jesus was hidden, but now he, Jesus, has obtained a more excellent ministry. A more excellent ministry than whose ministry? Well, then the Levites and the priests, the Levitical priests. How is his so much more excellent? Well, just read it right here. By as much as he, Jesus, is also the mediator of a better covenant. So he has a better ministry because he's got a better covenant. And this better covenant has been enacted on better promises. So Jesus has shown up to reveal himself as the mediator. And as we saw in chapter seven, the guarantee of this better covenant. The Levitical priests were ministering the old covenant which chapter seven, remember, called weak and useless. But Jesus has come ministering a better covenant, a better pact, a better agreement between God and man. And this better covenant is based upon better promises. And this is what we're gonna see for better promises over the next four weeks, including today. What are these better promises? What is it that we can hang our hat on and know for certainty that our cleanness and closeness with God never shakes? Well, when I sin, I this. No, it never shakes. God is in you. You are in him because this is a better covenant based on better promises. For, verse seven, if the first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to seek for a second covenant. But finding fault with the people, God says what we're about to read him saying. And this is what he says. So the fault wasn't with the covenant. The covenant was given to reveal the death, the spiritual death of the people. The law has been said to be 613 bony fingers pointing out your failure and your inability to actually be alive in God. So the law, there's nothing wrong with it. It did its job. 
But now it's time for us to let loose of it and see the reality of what we now have in Christ. Most of the time, this is what we do. We hold on to Jesus for our eternity. We hold on to Jesus for heaven. We hold on to Jesus for making sure that we get into heaven. But then, with the other hand, we turn around and we grab onto a variety of the laws of Moses or the laws of, of religion to make sure that we you know, better control our behavior or better control our morals or better whatever. It's like we're saying, I'll take marriage with Jesus, but as long as I'm here on earth, I'm going to sleep around with the law. Now, look, I don't want to be crude. I know there's young ears, but if I'm married to my wife, April, but I sleep around with someone else, that makes me a physical adulterer. Well, what is it called when we are married to Jesus, but yet we get in bed with religion and the law? This is big, guys. This is big. Is not Jesus enough? Is not Jesus more than enough? The law has done its job. The law is good. It's done its job. It has led us to Jesus. And as the great philosopher Elsa says, it's time to now let it go. Let it go, for we are now one with the Son of God. But finding fault with the people, because remember, the people were dead. God has a new promise, a new promise. This promise that he gives, that we're going to read, you can go ahead and look to the next verse, guys, on the screen. This is a quote from Jeremiah 31. So Hebrews is going back to the Old Testament and pulling out a promise that God made to people, saying that, behold, the days are coming. So in the darkest time, literally, and I don't have time to get into the background of uh, 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 Jeremiah 31, but in the darkest time of his, Israel's history where literally God is, is allowing Israel to be destroyed because of their unfaithfulness, because remember the terms of the old covenant were do good, be blessed, do bad, be cursed. They were unfaithful. He's allowing them to be destroyed because of their unfaithfulness. In the, in the face of this terrible, terrible circumstance, God says, oh, but a better day is coming. A better day is coming. A day is coming, says the Lord, when I will affect or I will establish, look at this, a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Here's this promise. A new covenant is coming. Now we know that this new covenant has come, well, because Jesus has died to usher it in. But this promise written in Jeremiah 31 was written 600 years before Jesus walked in this world. So what is this covenant like? He says, a new covenant is going to come. 600 years from now, a new covenant is going to come. What's this new covenant? Now, 2,000 years ago, the covenant came. What is it like? How do man and God operate in this thing? What are the terms of this new covenant? What's it like? Well, let's just keep reading. And we're going to look at one thing, one promise today, next week another, the next week another, and the fourth week Ricky's going to preach, and it's going to wrap this whole thing up with the fourth promise of what this new covenant is like. Verse 9, the new covenant, this is so big, is not like the covenant I made with their fathers on the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continue in that other covenant. In the, in that, that, and I did not care for them, says the Lord. Wow. 
Okay, so today's better promise, we're going to look at one next week, the week after, week after, is that this new covenant is nothing like the old covenant. He says, I mean, I can't, I don't know if I get any clearer, I can't read word this to make it even clearer. It's not like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. Now somebody tell me, what covenant did God establish with Israel when God led them out of Egypt? What covenant was that? The covenant of the law. Yeah, the covenant of the law. Specifically, remember, we've all seen the movie, The Ten Commandments, right? They get across the water, you know, they go down into the uh, Sinai Peninsula. They go, well, hopefully you've read it in the Bible too, but, you know, we've also seen the movie, you know, Charlton Heston, right? And he goes up to the top and God writes on stones the Ten Commandments. He gives them a covenant. And this covenant is do these things and be blessed. You can read about it in Deuteronomy 28. Don't do these things and, well, be cursed. So what did God have to do? According to the covenant, when they broke the, co- the law, according to the covenant, he had to curse them. And that's where it says here, and I did not care for them. That sounds terrible, doesn't it? I mean, let's just be honest. That sounds terrible. Here's why this is called the gospel. Gospel means what? Good news. This is why this thing we hold to so dear is called the good news. Listen, because this covenant that we're in is nothing like that one. And that's good news. That makes me be excited because it's nothing like what they had. This covenant is nothing like the one that I established with them when they led them by the hand out of Egypt. The covenant that they had in the old covenant was do good, be blessed. This new covenant says, in Christ, you have been blessed with every spiritual blessing, Ephesians 1. The old covenant says, do bad, be cursed. Well, in the new covenant, the new covenant says, Jesus never did bad, yet he was cursed so that we would never be cursed. You see the difference? I mean, that's pretty huge difference. After Moses walked down the mountain with all ten of these commandments in his hand, written on stones, he found the people violating, like, at least five of them. I mean, the terms, remember, were do good and live, do bad and die. We don't have time to go there, but Exodus is in your app notes, whatever. Exodus 32 records what happens when Moses comes down the mountain with the ten commandments. Anger of God burned against the people because they had built a golden calf and were worshiping it instead of God. They had violated the terms of this covenant and the chisel marks were still wet on the stone, if you will. I mean, it's fresh and they'd already violated it. And so God instructs a certain group of people from Israel to strap swords on their thighs and go through the camp and slaughter every single person who participated in that worship of the golden calf. And look at what Exodus 32 verse 28 says. So the sons of Levi did as Moses instructed, and about 3,000 men died 3,000 men fell that day. 3,000 men died because they violated 
this covenant of law, this covenant that, by the way, what we have today is nothing like it. Now, in Jeremiah 31, remember, it's what's quoted here in Hebrews 8, God is promising that a new covenant would come with Jesus' death that would, listen, be nothing like that covenant that God established with Israel on Mount Sinai. You violate that covenant, look, you're toast. But this new covenant is nothing like that covenant. Isn't it interesting to you that it was the sons of Levi that strapped swords? I just saw this for the first time when I was preparing this on Friday. It was the sons of Levi that did the slaughtering. These are the would-be priests of Israel walking around slaughtering people because they violated this covenant with God. Saints, listen, listen to what the Holy Spirit is saying. We have a better covenant enacted on better promises, all guaranteed by a better priest, Jesus himself. Under the old covenant, the Levites, the priests, strapped uh, swords to their thighs and they slaughtered the lawbreakers, showing no mercy on them because, well, there was no mercy to be found under the old covenant. But in the new covenant, our new high priest, listen, he strapped the cross to his back and he plunged the entire Adamic race into death in his one sacrifice and on the tree in order to bring us, in order to establish for us this new covenant. Under the old covenant, the the Levites were released onto the people. And in one day, 3,000 lawbreakers died because they violated the covenant. But in the new covenant, the very spirit of Christ was released onto the people on Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. And in one day, 3,000 lawbreakers, 3,000 sinners, 3,000 guilty and condemned people were given life. They were saved at Pentecost because in the new covenant, it was enacted on better promises. And those better promises had finally arrived. The new pact, the new agreement that God had made and he had promised some 600 years before had finally arrived. In your notes, it shows you this passage. It's not on the screen. Acts chapter 2, verse 41. The Holy Spirit descended upon the people and 3,000 men were saved. The Lamb has come and taken away the sin of of the world. Remember earlier when we read in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6, that the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life? Remember that? It's in your Bible app notes, right? The, the Spirit kills. I mean, boom, 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 rewind. The letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. You don't have to look further than Exodus 32 and Acts chapter 2 to see that. The violation of the old covenant was the slaughtering of 3,000 lawbreakers. But the result of the new covenant is that the very Spirit of Christ saved 3,000 lawbreakers. We are not adequate. We are not qualified to minister the old covenant. This is the understatement of the year. I know it's just March. But the understatement of the year is this. Our new covenant is nothing 
like the old. Our new covenant is nothing like the old. And this is our journey marker. And a journey marker is like, let's put all this into a nice little bow so we can think on it throughout the rest of the week. In our community groups, we'll talk about this some more. This new covenant, excuse me, life in the new covenant, that's a typo on the journey marker. It's correct in your Bible app. I don't know if you guys can fix it in the back or not. But life in this new covenant is nothing like life in the old covenant. Life in this new covenant is nothing like life in the old covenant. Look, this is very easy to say, but it's very difficult to believe and live in light of. So much of what we think about God and how he interacts with us is based on old covenant thinking. Listen, we're not qualified to dish that out to each other. We're not qualified to dish it to ourselves. We're not qualified to minister the old covenant. The new covenant It's nothing like the old. God's the same. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. But the covenant has changed. The manner in which he relates to us has changed. And I'm begging the Holy Spirit to reveal to us just a sliver of just how much God is for us in this new covenant. Listen, in this new covenant, we have been joined to him. And it was his idea, right? We're not trying to twist God's arm in order to be joined to us. It's his idea, He has made you into something wonderful, and he loves it. He loves what he has made you if you believe in Jesus. He's made you his child. He's made you right with him. He has made you as righteous as he is. The sin in our flesh isn't righteous. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about you, the real you, no longer joined to sin. We're now joined to him, and in him there is no darkness, 1 John. This new covenant, life in this new covenant, is nothing like life in the old covenant. If you think this is radical stuff, man, you should come back next week. Because next week, and bring a friend, because next week, the next promise, this is just the first, we've got three more. The next one is that the very divine nature of God has been placed within you. It's crazy. I mean, crazy. Well, it's crazy because he's crazy about you. He's in love with you. He longs to be one with you if you yet to believe in him. And if you do believe him, then in him, then he is one with you. Listen, let us not grieve the Holy Spirit by mixing these two covenants together. A lot of times, you know, people will say, well, we've got grace, but we've got to balance it, you know, with rules. We've got grace for heaven, but we've got to balance it with Moses of life here and now. Listen, what we call balance, you know what God calls that? Mixture mixture. Let's not grieve the Holy Spirit by mixing these two covenants. The new covenant and life in this new covenant is nothing like life in the old covenant. If you view, your, if you view God and your relationship with him in a way like the old covenant of close one minute and distant the next and close one minute and distant the next, please heed the words of Paul and no longer be conformed to that pattern. Let us be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Our band's going to come up and we're going to close out this morning with singing a very simple song called Jesus Messiah. Jesus Messiah. Remember, this new covenant, it's great. It's awesome. It's greater. It's, it's, it's gracious. 
But the new covenant is not Jesus. Jesus is the one who guarantees the new covenant will last forever. God will always look on you with perfect favor and perfect acceptance because of the work of Jesus who loves you and gave himself for you and now lives in you today. And we'll talk more about that next week, the divine nature in us. If you've yet to begin trusting in this Jesus, believing in him and what he's done, look, I encourage you, I beg you to start doing that today. Don't wait. If you want to talk to me or, or anyone, let's talk, whether it's here, whether it's at Mudhouse. I've had some amazing Facebook conversations recently. Look, let's talk. Let's converse. But we must believe in him. I'm going to pray. Let's go ahead and stand. We're going to sing this closing song to just reflect, to just digest some of this goodness. We'll have community groups all week long where we talk about this. But the new covenant, life in the new covenant is nothing like the old. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you. We thank you that our understanding of this is very incomplete. We thank you that we do not see this fully. So often I wish we could. But God, because we can't, we are drawn back to the well of Jesus in us, the Spirit in us, you in us, to reveal to us the mystery of this union with you. If we knew it all, why would we need to come to you for revelation of truth. So Father, we, we thank you that we do not see perfectly in this world. One day we will, but God, at least help us to see this very simple but profound reality that life with you in this new covenant is nothing like life in the old. The letter written on stones, kills. But the Spirit brings life. And you've opened a whole new door for us to exit this world and to enter yours. And that door is Jesus. And for any here who have yet to change their mind and believe in Jesus, I pray that today would be that day. But God, I pray for all all of us who have believed in Jesus, who are holding on to two covenants. God, may we let the old go. The old has passed. The new has come. God, help us to live by faith in that truth because it doesn't come naturally. It only comes by the revelation of your son in us. So we pray for that, Father. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Listen, church, our, our neighbors and the nations need to hear this truth that the new covenant is nothing like the old. So many believers are living in this idea of fear-based religion, just waiting for God's judgment to fall on them because they've messed up. Listen, that's old covenant thinking. And this new covenant is nothing like the old. The gospel really is good news. I mean, let's believe that. Let's live that. Let's show that. 
to the neighbors and the nations what Jesus has actually done because it's really, really awesome. Hope you have a great week this week. I encourage you to check out a community group. Uh, go to the website about Easter and, and, and the Grace Conference. The Grace Conference is all morning Saturday and all Sunday talking about this wonderful reality from a guy who can communicate it like I've never heard anybody else communicate it, James Barron. We love you. Have a great week and hope to see you in groups this week. Thank you for listening to this message from Life Journey Church. Feel free to distribute this podcast, but please do not charge for it or alter it in any way. For more information about Life Journey Church, visit us at www.lifejourneyva.com.